we're kind of bringing to conclusion this, this whole series over the past month, month and a half on offense. And for, for many of you, I've, I've kind of like talked with, with a lot of you of just like, it's been a powerful series and it's also been a very challenging series and in your face series, a series that's kind of unearthing and digging up some stuff that God's wanting to, to do in your life. And I pray that it's been um, a series that just communicated freedom. And uh, I mean, we said that the tagline all, all along that you can be free no matter what they do. And um, well, today I'm going to talk about, about our need for each other, uh, our need for connection, our, our need to, to stay connected. Stay connected is the name of, of my message today. How many of you in here have a cell phone? Okay, figured. I looked it up um, because I'm like, I feel like everyone's got a cell phone these days. I looked it up, uh, sure enough, 97% of adult Americans have a cell phone. And those of the ages 18 to 49, 100%. I was like, well, there, I mean, I'm sure there's a st statistical anomaly or whatever, but like 100% under Pew Research, it said 100% those 18 to 49 years old have um, cell phones. The only adult that I know that doesn't have a cell phone is my dad. I kid you not. We call him Landline Sweeney uh, because not only do they still have a landline, which many of us have gotten rid of over the years, but it's the only way you can get a hold of him. Either that or he's maybe sitting next to my mom when I call her on her cell phone. And, uh, um, and honestly, like there are times when I'm so jealous of him. Like, you ever been there? Like, think of what it would be like if you could not be contacted unless you happened to be home. That was the only time. Other than that, leave a message, right? Just leave a message. We'll check it and get back to you at our earliest convenience. I mean, so Landline Sweeney, um, man, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit jealous of, of him. We've never been more connected in the, the history of humanity, you know, when it comes to connectivity, all of us have cell phones. We all have hundreds, if not a thousand or so contacts in our cell phones where we can text, call, get on social media, find out all kinds of things that we could care less about, about everybody else that's going on in their lives. We're more connected than anything. I know um, what a girl in my high school English class had for lunch yesterday because she posted it. I know uh, this kid that um, was in my elementary school, I was friends with him in elementary school, that he just changed careers and got a new job. I have not seen him since elementary school, but I gave him a solid like on that, that thing. That was, was good. And I, he's probably like, oh, I think I remember that guy. Um, there's this paradox that we live within. And um, it's... It, this reality that like we live in this culture and as a culture, we've never been more connected, but also as a culture, we've never been more lonely, which is so weird because we're so connected and yet we can be so connected and yet not have anyone really truly know us. There's so many contacts, but very few friends, so many coworkers, but very few confidants, like people that, that truly care and know us closely. 
In fact, I would argue that the word friend has taken on a completely different meaning over the past decade and through our social media cultural contacts. That word friend, like, I mean, I am now friends with world-class experts. I am friends with celebrities. I am friends with people who I have never and will never meet face-to-face. I'm friends with them, right? Like you are too, you're friends. It's real easy, you just find them and then you just ask to be their friend and probably they will, right? In fact, like I am friends with people that I would actually not consider my friends anymore. You've been in there? Maybe it's time for you to like clean out your friends list, right? Because you've got like 2,000 friends and you're like, I'm actually not even friends with these. I'm not, I'm not an anti-friend, but they're not my friend anymore. Like, you know, you've kind of gone through things and there's, you're not even talking. You won't talk or can't talk or don't talk to each other. And, and yet they're still... They, but you don't want to get rid of them because you do want to still troll them. You know, kind of like keep your, keep your eye on stuff that's going on in their life. I mean, it's weird, isn't it? And that's the kind of friends that we, that we live in in this kind of social media context. We, like, we live in a world where you can have hundreds of followers and yet still feel like you're walking alone. And even like in a room like this, I mean, we can be in a room full of people and yet feel like we're, like we're alone in a crowd. Like nobody knows me. Maybe you're sitting next to people and you, you couldn't even, you don't even know their name. Like you, you've maybe sat next to them for a few months now because you've been coming here, but you're like, man, I, I, don't even know, I don't even know who they are. And we can blame it on things like, like technology. Like it's real easy to blame things on technology. You know, it's, well, it's, you know, it's the internet, it's social media, it's all those things. But what if technology is just revealing what's already there? Like, what if technology is just serving up what we want? And let me argue this with you for a second. Like, people have always loved to gossip. That's not new. It, I mean, Facebook did not come up with gossip. Like, people have always loved to gossip. What if Facebook is just providing us what we had to get around a water cooler? Now you just, you just get in your pocket and see all the stuff that's, that's going on in people's lives. Like we've always, um, well, the, the topic of t- conversation, our favorite one is ourselves. So what if social media just gives us a platform to express our self-centeredness? What if, um, well, I think many people have struggled with cultivating deep friendships over the years, right? We prefer to kind of stay hidden. What if technology just gives us a screen to hide behind? I think the problem is deeper than digital. And in fact, I would say that the problem, I mean, we can even go back to the word of God and it seemed to be a habit that the early church was falling into as well. And so I wanna read Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25. If you would stand with me, this is uh, the writer of Hebrews talks about kind of our, hmm, our tendency to, to just isolate, our tendency to kind of just get away and just be alone. And we don't want it, but it's the thing that we actually end up doing. And we're, we, we're alone in a crowd. 
Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 says this. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Lord, I thank you for your word. I pray that as we even just get into it and talk about how offenses really separate us, I pray that we would realize more and more that we need each other, every single one of us, as the body of Christ. Help us to, uh, to not isolate, but to risk community. In Jesus' name, amen. We've been talking over the past several weeks about, about offenses, and here's what I was considering. I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm concluding this sermon series. What is the thing that, that I just feel like needs to be addressed? And... And this is, what I was, this is what I was processing and praying about this week. It's this, like, if we're not careful, when we talk about offense and that, you know, offenses will come and people will offend us, but you can be free no matter what they do and all that kind of stuff, we can come away with a general understanding of this. Like, people will offend you. People will hurt you. Just put up with them, but keep them at arm's length because they could be dangerous. Like that, that could be a takeaway. Like people will hurt you, just get ready. People will offend you, just expect it. Just put up with them, but keep them at arm's length. Because let's face it, when we're faced with offense, isolation seems like the best answer. I don't know about you. Maybe you've never been offended. Maybe you've, you've never had people like hurt you, um, disappoint you, say they're gonna do something and then never follow through with it. But like, when that happens in your life, it seems like the logical answer is isolation. I'm just gonna kind of protect my, arm's length seems like the, the safest. If I could just keep everyone at arm's length, then you can't get close enough to hurt me. You can't get close enough to offend me. You can't get close enough to inflict pain in my life. And so I love you from afar. Offenses. And it was this idea that I was like praying through, it was like offenses, build fences to protect us. They protect us from ourselves. They, they protect us from hurt. They protect us from pain. Offenses build fences. Like when somebody trespasses onto your property, the inclination is, I need to build a fence. So somebody trespassed onto my property. Obviously, I need a fence, a bigger fence, a more impenetrable fence. I need a fence. Why? Because I need to keep people out and I need to protect myself. And it's the same thing with offenses. Offenses build fences in our life. And I think what the writer of Hebrews is saying here in Hebrews chapter 10 is he's reminding us that you need each other. You need each other. And it's this, this, this big idea that I want to just drill down on today is this that the danger of isolation is greater than the risk of community. Let me say that one more time, and I hope you get offended by it, that the danger of isolation is greater than the risk of community in your life. The goal when it comes to offense is not to simply just put up with each other, to keep everybody at arm's length. You need brothers and sisters in Christ in your life 
Just like what, what the writer of Hebrews says, like spurring one another on to love and good deeds, gathering together to worship and to grow and to maybe pray for each other when we need prayer. Like when we're struggling, I need a brother or sister to, to help come alongside, to, to lay hands on me, to, to pray a prayer of faith where two or more are gathered, there you are in our midst. Like we need each other to spur each other on, to love and to good works, to gather together, to encourage one another, to, to strengthen one another. Especially, the, it says that, especially as you see the day approaching. What's he talking about? Especially as we're looking at the end times, the, the end of the age, especially as that gets closer. How much more do you need brothers and sisters in Christ to come alongside you? Amen? So in a day of disconnected connectedness, which is this weird thing that we're experiencing, what does the Bible say about your need for godly friendships? One of the things that COVID has done, let's just, we, we like to blame COVID. So let's blame COVID. Over the past two years, let's just be honest, life has changed. Things are different. People, you are different. And one of the things that's happened is there's been like kind of a, a, decre a decreased desire to even attend church. Like, it's just like, it's just true. It's, it, I'm, not, I'm not even like railing on that. I'm not, I'm not even saying like, you need to be in church. I'm, not even, I'm just saying like, the reality is, is that because of the past two years of this isolation that's happened, where we have shutdowns and everybody's alone in their houses and we kind of liked it a little bit, some of us. That, that now there's like this decreased desire and maybe even a fear or concern of gathering in groups of people. That's just truth right? Again, this was already brewing, but COVID and technology now gives us greater opportunity to do the very thing that we're already prone to do. So we can, we're not going to blame COVID, blame technology. It just gives us opportunity. I mean, just look at how many of you are working from home right now and loving it, <laughs> right? I mean, you're like, man, I, will, I hope I never got to go back to work, Working from home is amazing, right? I'm just never even have to shower. Just it's amazing. This is awesome, right? This was never a normal thing a few years ago. I mean, there were a few people that worked from home a few years ago, and you'd be like, man, what are these people doing? You can't even call that work. Now we're like, no, that's it seems to be like what everyone's doing these days, right? We all kind of work from home. And this is where dovetails into, I think, what Hebrews is talking about. Like, there is a vein of thought that has crept into many Christians' theology, and it's not COVID's fault, and it's not technology's fault. It's something that is historic, that is really kind of a flawed part of the heart of man, which is this, all I need is me and Jesus. All I need is just, just me and Jesus. Church people, oh, church people. Church people have disappointed me. Church people have offended me. Church people have rejected me. Church people have gossiped about me. Church, pe church people, church people, church people. Really, all I need is just me and Jesus, right? I, I, I don't have time. I don't have time to, to gather. I don't have time for other Christians. I already tried that. Didn't work. All I need is me and Jesus. And while I can understand that, because look it, I've been hurt too. While I can understand that, 
I just need you to understand, God respectfully disagrees with you. He respectfully, or maybe disrespectfully, either way, he disagrees with you. So, so essentially, when it comes to this whole idea that like, and I'm going to say something that like you may recoil from, but let me explain it, is this, that God is not all that you need. I told you, Mildred, we're leaving this church. <laughs> Knew that young guy, start preaching heresy, and we're out. We're done, we're done, we're done. God is not all that you need. And let me, let me explain this to you. In other words, if you still aren't offended, that, that God is not enough. Like me and Jesus is not enough. And you're like, well, that just sounds heretical. Quit saying it, pastor. It's actually true. Like you need other Christians in your life. You need other followers of Christ in your life. You were actually never meant to follow Jesus alone. Did you know that? You were never meant to follow Jesus alone. And when you try to, you get weird. You know, come on. You know those people. You know your, your crazy Aunt Sally who doesn't go to church anymore, but she watches all those things. And she, I mean, all over the place. You know, you ever seen a hermit? You never see a hermit. And you're like, that guy's normal. You never do. You were never meant to follow Jesus alone because when you try to, you get weird. Let me show you this in Scripture. Let's go all the way back to Genesis. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18 says this. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And many times we look at this where it's like, oh, yeah, it's great male and female, and it's all about marriage and that kind of thing. Here at the heart of this, it's relational. Yes, it's about male and female, and I get that. At the heart of this, it's relational. God knew that if we're not careful, we will live lives of busy isolationism. I, just, just me and Jesus, it's really all. God saw Adam, and he's like, this guy needs a friend. He needs community, needs a suitable helper is the term that that we see in the Bible. And that word suitable in the Hebrew actually means this, some, someone, something that you can see in front of you. And so God says, I will make a helper that he can see in front of himself. Someone that he can talk to, someone that he can listen to, someone that he can, that he can hug, someone that will um, help him and spur him on, someone that will support him, sometimes someone that will also disappoint him. And sometimes someone who will also even offend him at times. But the danger of isolation is greater than the risk of community. And it hasn't changed for you. And it hasn't changed for me. And I want you to take note of something. When, when, when God looks at Adam and he's like, um, it's not good for man to be alone. Do you realize this? God didn't ask Adam's opinion about this. You see that? He literally waited till Adam fell asleep and he's like, I'm going to take his rib. 
He, he didn't wait for Adam to be like, Adam, what do you feel about? Adam didn't even have a chance to say what maybe we would maybe think of just like, Lord, you know what? I just think that what we have is better. Me and Jesus, that's really kind of all I need right now besides God. Like, I don't know, but if you ever heard of this before, but I took the Myers-Briggs personality test, Lord, and I'm an INTJ. Do you know what that means, Jesus? It means that I'm more of an internal processor you should really take it, God. It really would be good for you. It'd help you kind of like discover yourself. Like, see, see, I just need you to understand, like I'm more of an internal prosper. That just means that I don't really need other people, God, <laughs> or suitable helpers or whatever you call them, right? Like, I, I don't need that. If you could just, so thank you, but it's a hard no thank you. And in creation, community and relationship was actually God's idea. It was his idea. God saw that it, this isn't enough. Like, you actually need someone to come alongside a suitable helper. And something that we all need. So, why did he say that it's not good for us to be alone? What, why is it not good for us to live in isolation? Let me give you just, I'll give you three scriptures. The first one, Proverbs chapter 18, verse 1 says this, a man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all wise judgment. What is it saying? It's saying isolation leads to unwise choices. Isolation leads to unwise choices. Why? Because outside of community, the only voice that I listen to is my own. Outside of community, the only voice I'm listening to is my own. And I'll just tell you, listening to myself is not usually a good thing. Because you know why? I tend not to argue with myself. I don't. In fact, people who do argue with themselves are considered crazy. I, I actually think that my ideas are awesome. I think that every thought that I have is totally right. I, I, I very rarely argue with myself. I just think, like, man, yeah, I had this thought. It's got to be right. Why? Because I thought it. So outside of community, when you isolate yourself, all you are left to is just essentially settling for listening to yourself. And the Bible says that when we isolate, that it leads to unwise choices. Here's another scripture, Proverbs 27, verse 6. It says, wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. What's it saying? It's saying a godly friend will challenge you. A godly friend will challenge you by telling you things that you don't want to hear. Well, I don't want to hear what I don't want to hear. I know, that's why you need to hear it. Like a, when you have a godly friend in your life, people who, who, who will literally bring you truth to help you see what you don't see, blind spots that you don't see. People who don't care about you, I'm just gonna be honest with you, people who don't care about you will say things like this, you do you. Live your truth. People who don't care about you will tell you that. You're like, well, that's kind of what we say all the time. Exactly. You need people in your life who love you too much to allow you to do you. Because you doing you all by yourself is leading to unwise choices. Like you need people in your life that will actually bring you truth and say, hey, have you, 
you need to take a look at this. I love you too much to allow you to do you. It says, wounds from a friend can be trusted because they will point out weaknesses before they become fatal flaws. And we all need people in our life like that. We think, well, I don't know if I want that. That's why you need it. <laughs> wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. You do you. Go live your life. Yeah, you live your truth. Third one, Proverbs 27, 17. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. I've said this many times that we are usually the average of the five people that we hang out with the most. We're usually the average of the five people that we hang out with the most. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean that sometimes when we just keep falling into the same thing, the same proclivity, the same sin, the same mess up, the same unwise decision, some of you need to stop beating yourself up so much. You need to up your average. You're like, well, I just don't understand. I just keep going back to the same thing. I keep clicking on this and I keep doing this. I keep doing that. And you're like, man, I just suck at this. I can't do this. I'm a horrible Christian. I can't do this thing right. I'm all, I think I should just quit. No, no, no. Stop beating yourself up. You need to up your average. What do you mean? You need to start bringing other people around you that are actually going to sharpen you and to make you better. It could be not necessarily a you problem. It could be an average problem that you need to start intentionally and strategically placing people and brushing shoulders with other followers of Christ in your life to actually sharpen you, to make you, make you better. It's called peer pressure. It is. We usually think that like peer pressure is negative because we always think of, talk about teenagers this way, right? We're like, oh man, did you see? I don't know, that crowd that they're hanging out with are just gonna make some bad choices. Almost like we've grown out of it, right? Like, yeah, okay, we're so much better now, right? Like, oh, you see those teenagers, I'm telling you what, they got that, that girlfriend and it's just going downhill. We just got older. That's all that changed, right? We, we, we just got older. That's, that's the only difference between us and, and teenagers. But here's the thing. Peer pressure doesn't always have to be a negative thing. Proverbs tells us that there is a positive peer pressure that will actually sharpen us. Proverbs is telling us that there is a positive peer pressure that godly friends will encourage you to be better. As iron sharpens iron. People who will bring you truth when you need it, not because you want it, because you need it. And sometimes drag your lazy butt to Jesus when you can't seem to get there yourself. Like you need brothers and sisters in Christ. Like when, when you need healing, you need someone to be like, hey, you, go, come on. You know you need to get healed. Let's go, come on, I'll go with you. you <laughs> we need people in our life that will push us and prod us and sometimes drag us along when we don't have it in ourselves to do it, Amen. So I would just encourage you, up your average. Up your average. Not only that, the second point is this. Not only do we need and God isn't enough, even Jesus needed friends. Even Jesus, if there's one guy, one guy in all of creation that could have just been like, you know what, I, I'm going to be a loner. 
Nobody understands me. I feel like I'm just on a different plane than they're on. I'm on a different level than they are. I just know, I don't want to be around these people because I just know that one of them's just going to betray me or one of them's going to deny me or three times or one of them's going to desert me or maybe all of them. One of them's going to offend me. Like if it's going to be one guy that could just be get along with this, like, oh, you know what? It's just okay for me to be a loner. It would be Jesus. It would be Jesus Christ. And even Jesus risked community. I think sometimes we look at Jesus and his 12 disciples as like the pinnacle of like of, uh, of discipleship and it's this perfect discipleship. And it, and it was, I get that, but it was a hot mess. You look through these guys that were like the 12, the, the followers of Jesus, and you think like, man, they must've been so awesome. All they were doing was just like praying all day and everything was perfect. They all got along. Not true. If you read your Bible, you got like, just name a couple of them. Peter, he was a hothead. He was always offending people. He actually tried chopping off a guy's head and missed, luckily, and only chopped off his ear, right? Luckily, he wasn't a good sword slayer. Jesus had to pick up the guy's ear, paste it back on in his Jesus thing onto the guy's head and be like, sorry, my friend's a little overprotective. You got James and John who were always vying to be Jesus' bestie. In fact, John, when he writes his, his gospel, I self-identifies himself as the one whom Jesus loved. Judas, the money, the money keeper, was stealing from them and then ends up betraying Jesus for like a hundred bucks. I mean, I'm sure there must have been some part of Jesus, even as he hung on the cross, wondering why did I invest so much time in these guys? They're no way, they're not even around when I need them the most. There must have been. And yet Jesus, as he was going through one of the darkest and hardest nights of his life, he knew that he needed friends. Let me read it for you. Matthew 26, verse 37. He took Peter and two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. He said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and he prayed, my father, if it's not possible for this cup to be taken away, unless I drink it, may your will be done. And when he came back, he found, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. And then he returned to the disciples and said, are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come. The Son of Man has been delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. It's a really kind of interesting little story about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane hours before his death. In Jesus's darkest hours, he wanted his friends close. And even then, they were disappointing him. Jesus is like core group. They were falling asleep because their eyes were heavy. 
And what blows me away is that Jesus would rather be surrounded by this ragtag group of godly friends than to go through his life alone. He chose to live his life in community. And community means that sometimes we get disappointed. Community means that sometimes people fall asleep when they said they'd stay up and pray with you. Community means that sometimes people will offend you without even meaning it. And sometimes they do it and they do mean it. But here's the thing, church. The danger of isolation is greater than the risk of community. 1 Peter 5.8 says this, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. A lion, when he's going after, he will find the one isolated animal that has strayed away from the herd. When we isolate, we literally, the enemy targets and attacks when we isolate. When did Satan attack Eve? He waited until she was isolated, and then he started telling her lies. I think of uh, the prophet Elijah. The dude was like a beast of a man, right? He taunted and slaughtered like hundreds of the prophets of Baal until he isolated himself, and then he was like a scared little boy. When was Jesus tempted the most? When he was isolated in the desert for 40 days, that's when Satan shows up. When we isolate ourselves, the enemy targets and deceives us because the danger of isolation is greater than the risk of community. The last point I want to leave you this is, is this, that confessing your sins to each other helps to heal you. This is kind of a weird one because it's like, well, that's, I don't, I don't know what that even means. Like confessing my sins to other people, how is that supposed to bring any sort of healing to my, to me? James chapter five, verse 16 says this, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And I need you to see this. Maybe you've never seen this before as you've probably read James chapter five in the past, right? There is a healing that is activated through community. There's a healing that is activated through community, just like there's power. Sure, you could pray at home and be healed. God could move. There is something that happens when God's people gather and the prayer of a righteous person joins with your faith to go after that thing that you're asking for healing for, there is something that is activated through community. And so if you're stuck and you're like, man, I just, I don't know why I, I can't find freedom in this area of my life. I wanna ask you this question. Are you intentionally surrounding yourself with godly friends who you can be real with? because there is a healing that is activated through community. Healing is found not only in your relationship with God, but also through godly relationships.
So what if? What if living a life without secrets is the secret to freedom? What if having other people in your life that probably disappoint you and probably say that they're going to be praying and they fell asleep because their eyes were heavy. What if, what if you, you, you bring around yourself other people and you know what? They just they weren't there and they didn't text you back soon enough and they said they were going to do this, but then they, they, they bailed on it. Or what, what if we truly believed that? Not only did God say that we needed and Jesus needed it, but we truly understood that the danger of isolation is greater than the risk of community. What would that change on the inside of us? Why don't you stand with me? I'm going to be very honest with you about my intentions today. Um, I want every single person that calls New Life Church their home to be connected in godly relationships. Make no mistake. I'm not trying to to sell you on something. I'm not trying to be a salesman here. Like I, I want every person that, that calls New Life Church their home to be connected in godly relationships because you're better connected than you are apart. You're better in community than you are isolated. How do I know that? Because it's just true. And we know it's true. Some of you have, um, you already are connected and your average is stacked, and you're like, I'm telling you, and you're, you've been listening to this, and you're like, amen, amen. I've been hearing you, amen, because you know it, because maybe you have been isolated, and now you're not, and you've got brothers and sisters in Christ that like you know have your back, and you have theirs, and yeah, they're not perfect. They're far from it, and so are you, but you know what? You love each other enough to, to be able to not just say, you do you, go live your truth. You actually bring them truth and they bring yours even when you don't want it and they drag your butt to Jesus even when you can't get there yourself. You need and know that you need friends like that and you've actually seen the benefit of it. And you're like, man, my average is stacked, Pastor Justin. It is awesome. Keep it up, stay connected. Don't neglect meeting together. But some of us, and here's the reality, if, 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 if the first century church was, was struggling with this, then the reality is, is that many of us may not be connected. We may feel or be isolated. And that's just, that's just true. One of the ways that we, that we try to foster that, even within the church, is through things like life groups. You know, we get the life group kickoff. And, and I hope and I pray that those of you who are not connected and just feel isolated would, would risk community say, you know what? Well, I tried a life group back in 1998 and it was horrible. Like I just didn't go well. And there's a couple weird people. I was one of them. You know what I mean? Like it just thanks, but no thanks. I tried a life group 10 years ago, but I'm all good now. But it's not even just life groups. Like maybe you're like, you know what? I'm not into that. Or I can't do this on a weekly basis or whatever. Like we've got a men's retreat coming up in October, October 7th through the 9th. We have like 40, 50 guys signed up and we can have up to 90. 40 and 50 is awesome. 90 would be even better. If, if, if some men in here, and we're the hardest to, we're the hardest to find, because I know, I know you ladies, I, I hear a lot of female amens here, very few amens in here. I'm just going to be honest with you. Why? Because the pride of being a male sometimes keeps everybody at, the, at distance. But I'm telling you, you need, it, you need it the most. And so maybe you just say, you know what, I'm going to risk community. I'm going I'm to sign up for a retreat. I don't even think I want to go to. 
right? Come on. You got other stuff to do. You know, you got to work on the car and like nobody's going to trim that, those the bushes for the fall and you got to rake and all kinds of stuff going on. I know you got a lot of stuff. But like, what if this was the most important thing? Like, what if, what if community was the thing that God was calling you to risk? Got a women's conference coming up in November. I just encourage you guys to just risk. I want to encourage you to risk community. Why? Let me read it for you again. Hebrews 10, verse 24. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more, all the more, all the more as you see the day approaching. Many times we get disappointed. I've disappointed you. You've disappointed me. You've disappointed her. She's disappointed him. Like we, we've all, that's community, right? Like Many times we get offended, we get disappointed, we get hurt by people. And sometimes the, it hurts the worst when you get hurt by other Christians. Why? Because you expect more. Let's just be honest, you expect more. And on behalf of Christians and Christ followers all around, like, I'm so sorry for that. But it is messy. It was messy for Jesus. Uh, it was certainly messy for him. But you cannot treat godly relationships like, well, I, I tried that, but it didn't work. God does not give you that out. You don't get a bad haircut and say like, well, yeah, I'm just, not, I'm, I'm not getting haircuts anymore. You just find a different hairstylist. Don't you? Please tell me you do. Y'all looking good. So I think, I think that's kind of what, what's happened in your life. Or maybe you just feel like, you know, I don't need a life group anymore. Pastor Justin, I've got, I, I did when I first came to the Lord, or maybe first came to this church, but now I'm really, like I got, my average is awesome. I've got some great friends in my average. I want to encourage you to, to be for someone else what others have been for you. And so maybe, maybe you sign up for a retreat or a life group or a women's conference, not for you, for others, for other people. I want to read a scripture to you because I want to just drop the mic on you. I'm going to read Galatians chapter 6, verse 2 and 3. I'm going to read it in the New Living Translation because it seems that it was the most offensive way to say it. It says, share each other's burdens. And in this way, obey the law of Christ. Verse three, if you think you're too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself. You are not that important. <laughs> Thanks, Paul. Appreciate that. Thanks for keeping me humble. It's that reminder that the the danger of isolation, both for you and for the person next to you, is greater than the risk of community. Then God knows you need it, and even Jesus needed it. I just want to encourage you to risk it in your life. And please don't think that is an unabashed thing to sign up for life groups, but it does mean that I want you to be strategic, and maybe, maybe that is an opportunity for you to just strategically place yourself in community. It doesn't guarantee anything. And so Lord, as we, as we end with this last song, I, I pray that you would just move on us. What a beautiful picture of the body of Christ praying for each other up here during worship today. God, I thank you that we have brothers and sisters in Christ that would gather around each other. When the, when the need comes forward, 
that our heart breaks for our brother or our sister that is in need. Lord, I thank you that you call us to spur one another on, to encourage each other, to strengthen each other, and to not neglect meeting together and worshiping together, especially as we see the day, the end of the age approaching. Have your way in us, Lord, in Jesus' name.